welcome to episode 98 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm Nathan Fox with me in, you said you're at home, Ben, you're in a different location today? Yeah, that's right. In Vienna, Virginia. Vienna, Virginia. It's Ben Olson. Um, why are you at home today instead of at work? Because the well, LSAT's over and you got to Yeah, the LSAT's over and uh, no one wants to talk to me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You find your true friends once. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, things are a little quieter on my end as well. We do have a big backlog of listener uh, emails to get through today. We are going to talk about some news from the LSAC. We are going to also talk about the June 2017 LSAT a little bit. We have some reports from listeners. Um, anything else you want to mention in the open here, Ben? No, no. That sounds good. Ready to do it? Should we talk about this mysterious donation? <laughs> yeah, sure. So we got a donation from someone in Russia, I'm assuming. Cannot read this name, but definitely looks Russian, right? Yeah, I would say it's Russian letters. Yeah, yeah, Russian letters, yeah. Thank you very much for your donation. Uh, the total amount was $6.66, which just uh, caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, given the uh, six, the three sixes. But um, as as you pointed out and as my wife pointed out, that's probably just a random number, uh, the result of converting currencies, right, from rubles or whatever it is to U.S. dollars. But um, if not, I was curious if this was a real fan or maybe a foe. <laughs> yeah, because it's like the forces of darkness listening yeah. to us and donating six dollars and sixty six cents for all of the atheism we spout and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, I, I boringly said that I thought it was a currency thing too. Yeah. So um, anyway, thanks for that donation very much. Um, maybe before we get into these emails, I think the news about the calendar changing is pretty important to get to. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Um, it's actually not going to really affect anyone who's currently studying for the test at all. They announced <laughs> it as if it was like imminent, you know, this, this giant change in the calendar. They are uh, now going to be having six LSATs per year, and they are claiming that that's happening in the current cycle, but it's it's the 2018-2019 cycle that's really going to change the 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 calendar year of 2018 is still only going to have six tests in it or four tests in it in 2018. They are slightly moved up, right? We've been seeing that actually, it feels like this year because we have the September LSAT coming earlier than expected. Yeah. In the past, uh, the September LSAT was always near the very end of September and sometimes in October, which is why sometimes people refer to it as the October LSAT. But uh, yeah, this year, last year it moved up a little bit, and this year it's on September 16th, which is in the middle of September. I've, I don't think I've ever seen it that early before, but uh, yeah. it's good, I think. I mean, there was a lot of time before between June and September, and I think people want to get their LSAT done earlier in the application cycle so they can take it again and still apply early. So I like these changes. Yeah, I like the changes too. I wish they were coming a bit sooner, but um, yeah. <laughs> it is, you know, because it, it's funny that they announced it as they, the first announcement was like bizarre actually, because it said they, they listed six dates in the, in the 2017, 2018 cycle. They listed. Oh, they did? Or actually Twitter? they announced that there were going to be six tests in the cycle and it, yeah, like on Twitter, what's, I forget how I saw it first, but then I looked at the actual dates and 
they were they only had listed five dates. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And they were counting June twice. Hmm. They were counting June 2017 and June 2018 in so the 2017, so 2018. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, oh, God. <laughs> just perfect, like, uh, fake news announcement, you know. But then uh, it came to my attention that the dates were that, that the dates were 2019. If you look at the rest of the calendar, then you see that, um, yeah, everything gets shifted forward. They're adding, like, a, a July test. Yeah, they're going to have June and July. Oh, so I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at a different thing right now. Oh, that's interesting. Let's hear. Well, do you have the rough 2019 dates in front of you or not? Yeah. So what I, what what I have is I have LSAC's PDF. So this is official something and, uh, it's on their website and it has the 2018, 2019 dates, which start with the June 11, 2018 test. Okay. And they have the September test, which is on September 8th. So that's earlier. Than even this okay, year, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they have a November seventeen test, which is basically like that's the December LSAT shifted two December weeks LSAT. forward before mm-hmm. Thanksgiving instead of after. Oh, okay, yeah. And then they have a January twenty six, uh, two thousand nineteen LSAT, which is basically the February LSAT. So nothing's changed right. so far. They've just moved everything up. Right. All of twenty eighteen um, just gets shifted forward by like two weeks. Yep. And the February wait, 2019 wait, wait. task gets shifted, shifted forward. forward or shifted backward. Oh, I guess it's forward. Yeah. I was thinking backward, but okay. All right. Anyways. So then um, it's earlier. Yeah. And then on uh, in 2019, of course, the, the like we just said, the February LSAT is earlier. It's now in January, end of January. And then there's this March 30th LSAT. That is new. So that's an addition. Okay. Um, Because uh, before you just had the February LSAT and then you had the June LSAT and there was a big time gap in between there. It was great for taking vacations, by the way, if you're an LSAT instructor. Yeah. But um, (laughs) now we have this March test. So we'll have to keep working, I guess. And then you have the June LSAT. And that's where this calendar. Oh, no. No, no, it does. It does have the July test. I see it. So it Mm -hmm. says uh, July 29th. Wow. So you're going to take the test in June, June 3rd. So that's shifted forward uh, earlier. Yeah, right. And then the July 29th test. So those are the two new tests. There's now going to be a March test and a July test. And everything else on the calendar looks like it got shifted up two weeks. Two weeks up earlier. two weeks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And all right. So again, makes really no difference for anybody who's listening right now, probably. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. it is news, but it's not, you know, it's not really going to do anything until uh, 2019. So, you know, you that said, actually, uh, we did, we got an email, right? Just a little bit ago that was uh, from someone who was saying that they were going to take the test in 2018. Um, that doesn't necessarily affect them, but I definitely get the sense that there are some listeners that may be like super proactive, right? Yeah. They're in their yeah, freshman year at college and they're... Right. <laughs> already thinking about this stuff that was not me but um to those folks you now know yep yep it's coming um okay cool i guess we gotta just dig into these emails thank you everybody for sending us so many great emails um we really appreciate it you can send uh, us the show email help at thinking um you can also get us individually, Nathan at foxlsat.com or Ben at strategyprep.com. Um, 
Uh, I'll start with this first one here. It says, hey guys, I just got home from taking the LSAT. I got to take this venerable test in the, quote, moot court room at the one place in Saskatchewan that actually offers the LSAT. Indeed, all seemed right until we began the first section and the renovation team went to work. Apparently, we weren't the only ones with a 12.30 p.m. start time. Thankfully, the proctors made a note of it, which may have been a euphemism for some darker intent, but I doubt it, though the drilling did stop by the time we arrived for the fourth section. Ooh, three sections of drilling? That's pretty bad. (laughs) At any rate, I did not get that thrown off. This is partially because I am a nihilist, but also because my kids practically destroyed entire city blocks while I did sections. I practice sections, I assume, yeah. I still have not done a single practice test in the absence of some form of demolition. In all, it was a pretty decent experience that culminated in a mildly amusing run-in with a proctor who kept calling it the L-stat while she sat in the judge's (laughs) chair. (laughs) This is a clear indication that they have pulled random members of society to help administer this test without any knowledge of what they're getting into. Yeah, which that'll never change. I mean, if it's only offered four times a year or soon to be six times a year, I mean, that's not a job, right? So that's a, who knows who this person is? The LSTAT, sitting in the judge's chair. I like that part too. I mean, we all sat there and called bullshit on all the shitty arguments we could. That was our day. That and the drilling. I can't wait for your next episode. You guys rock. Ben needs to try bulletproof coffee. Nathan, I am a more skeptical person because of you. Love that you guys believe in the singularity. <laughs> All the best, John. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'd hope to try Bulletproof Coffee this morning because I saw this email, but I didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah. Um, well, you can give us a report whenever you get around to it. So it does have butter in it. So I guess it's kind of like what you have. Yeah, I, I think that must be why he's bringing that up because we talked about that way back when. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else about that? You want to do the next one? No, let's do it. Go ahead. Hi guys. Just took the June, 2017 test and I'm hoping it went well. We are as well. We got three, I got three LR sections and thought the test went great until the last LR section, which messed me up. And for some reason I could just, I could not, I just could not recover. Good thing. It was the last section of the entire test. Yeah, that's good. Of course, when I got out of testing and checked Reddit, the toughest section turned out to be the real one, and now I'm really unsure about how I did. Should I keep studying like this test didn't happen, or lightly study until the score comes through? Um, yeah, what do you think? I generally tell people to keep studying if they think they're going to take it again. I mean, if they think that there's even like a 50-50 that they're going to take it again, I don't know why you wouldn't do a little bit of prep if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, Not enough to burn yourself out and, you know, really only do it if you're feeling happy and optimistic about it. That's just a rule for LSAT studying, period, right? You Mm -hmm. really should only be doing this stuff when you you feel motivated to do it and do your best. sure. Um, So if Anonymous can get motivated... Um, to study a little bit while we wait for scores. I think it makes a lot of sense. That way you can take the June test when it comes back and you can use those results, you know, hit the ground running at that point. Um, Fix all your mistakes that you made on the June 2017 test as preparation for the September test. So I would 
Um, yeah, I, I, would, I like the lightly study plan. You? Yeah, I agree. I think um, uh, I might take a day or two off, you well, know, sure. reset. And, but, yeah, get back into it and um, maybe even go, you know, a little back to normal studying if you, if you can. Um, the reality is there's not that much time between now and September. Right. I think a lot of times people, you know, they're taking the June test or they're planning to take the June test and then they say, oh, I can't get ready by that time, so I'm going to take September, and then they just fall off the grid. And it's like they don't do anything until, again, there's a few weeks <laughs> before the September LSAT, and they're back in the same position that they were in before. I'm not saying this is true for Anonymous, but I think a lot of people can sort of fall away from the LSAT and then not really pick it back up again until they absolutely have to, and it's sometimes too late. Yeah, and I've had people, I'm sure you have as well, back out multiple times from the LSAT, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in fact, one of these emails, we got, we got some emails about people withdrawing 10 times or something from the test. Um, oh, wow. I, yeah. Maybe it was just me that got that one. But anyway, um, why, why, why agonize over this thing that much? I mean, either do it or don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get going with the studying, I would really recommend that you just keep the ball rolling up until, you know, when you're really done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I even get emails where people are like, I took the June test and now I'm thinking that I might retake it in December. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, why December? why December? Yeah. Why not September? What are you doing? I don't, I don't get it. If you're ready enough to take it, then you should also be ready to take it the next time. Yeah. And that, that should be your plan, right? Once you, once you get prepared, you need to just take it and then immediately retake and immediately retake again, if necessary, until you get a score that reflects your abilities Mm -hmm. and then put it away. I don't, I don't get it when people draw it out for two years. That doesn't ever make sense to me. Well, projects take as long as you (laughs) give yourself, right? Work expands to fill available time. I mean, the, the one thing is though, you know, you can't cram this thing either. It's not like you can just say, Oh, well, so in that case, I'll just give myself two weeks and just knock it out. You know, yeah. You can do that with a lot of things. You could do that with a lot of exams, but you can't really do that with the LSAT. This is a game that you need to learn how to play over a long period of time. Yep. So I really recommend just chip away at it. For somebody like this who took the test and seems like they did okay, you know, I don't think it takes that much work to keep sharp and you know, mm-hmm. do an yeah. hour a day, maybe skip a day or two, and but do something before the June results come back because those things don't come back until do we have a date on that it's going to be after the fourth of july right yeah and so now you know and then everything all the other life stuff gets in the way it's like oh well i've got this summer vacation or this internship you know and then that'll be over in a while and then oh i have this other trip i have to do and then yeah and then school starts again in the fall like next thing you know you're delaying and taking it in december or taking it 2018, which doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, next email. Yeah. So this was, uh, or is this the same? No, no, this is a new person. Uh, she sent me this story. Um, 
she has to keep it anonymous, but okay. it is a very interesting story. Uh, so she says, one, th- one slightly crazy thing did happen. During the middle of Section 2, a girl in my testing room, this was uh, nearby, in, close to D.C., oh. passed out and almost fell out of her chair. She made an audible cry and was unaware that she had passed out once she regained consciousness. It was pretty distracting and distressing. They didn't stop the test or anything, but the proctors had to assist her out of her chair and left her sitting on the floor of the test room while they called 911. Wow. That's pretty crazy. I felt yeah. really bad for her, but I also also relieved that I wasn't pressed for time in that section. Yeah, that's good. Um, I then asked her, I said, wait, they didn't stop the test? That's surprising. And I was curious how long she was out. And they said, she says, um, she wasn't unconscious for very long, but seemingly just uh, spontaneously fainted in the middle of section two. She regained consciousness shortly after the proctors approached her, and I heard them whispering to her that she had passed out. So that's pretty um, pretty Jeez, crazy. If you had a, a bad test day, uh, at least you probably didn't pass out. You can feel good about that. Man, I wonder if that was some medical thing that she regularly has or if she just stressed herself out so much that she, like, was it a panic attack? Pass out yeah, kind I wonder. of thing or what? Like anxiety or something? Huh. I don't know. Wow. I mean, cautionary tale there for all the crazy people who are studying 12 hours a day for the LSAT at the last minute, right? Because that, that could be it. She was just burning the candle at both ends for two months leading up to the test. Yeah. And and really stressed and nervous about the whole thing and then ended up having a medical problem during wow. Well, all right, well I hope she's all right. And sounds like this student uh did fine. Powered yeah. right through it. Yeah. Cool. Um Whoa, this one's a long one. Yeah, this is a long one. What is that? I- Ooh. We can't talk about a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So Kevin Kevin took my online class and he he sent me um an update on the test. I think we can read some of this. Uh Kevin, thank you for the update. Although a lot of this is super detailed and things that we can't share. Um but Yeah, and that's because of LSAC licensing. If you're new to this whole thing, the LSAC uh charges a lot of money for licensing their test questions and they guard their the tests super, super double secret. So you, if you go take the tests and you can't, we can't really talk about specifics of the questions until the test is released as a practice test. And even then we can only um, talk about the questions when we, you know, pay um, the LSAC a license fee to use the questions with a student. So um, individual questions are like, yeah, not really, we can't, uh, go there. <laughs> yeah. But this is a very detailed report. Wow. Yes. Uh, Kevin remembered a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, so he, there are a few things that we can share. He says, I'm sure you guys have heard quite a bit about this test today already. Uh, LR was average with a handful of dense questions. Uh, RC was the worst I've ever felt in a test in my life. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's too bad that it was so hard, Kevin, but, um, you know, we're also, we're also going to hear people, I'm sure, who said that they, they liked RC. This is just the, the way it goes every time, I guess. But um, he says the games were like doing mazes or word searches in a kid activity book. 
Uh, okay, cool. So it sounds like the games went well. A couple of simple sequencing, a couple of double la- or a double layer sequencing, and an easy grouping game. I actually finished them all with 15 minutes left and had time to do every game and every question over again. Wow. Okay. Um, that's surprising. That's a lot of extra time. Uh, said he enjoyed the class, yada, yada. I still, still enjoying the podcast. It's going to be strange listening to an LSAT, LSAT prep <laughs> podcast after I'm done with the test for good. Um, yes, you do have to keep listening. So thank you. Oh, and one more thing. If anyone ever asks about Ohio state as a testing center, it was miserable. Okay. So avoid Ohio state. Um, and the girl beside me had an entire box of 20 something pencils. (laughs) She won. (laughs) I love the pencils thing. It's awesome. Yep. I'm getting yeah. re- reports from all sorts of students and listeners about how the pencils they saw in the room, but 20 is the most I've heard so far. Yeah. Uh, so the rest of this is just an update on the test, which we can't talk about, but yeah. um, thanks, Kevin. We hope it went well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next one. Hey guys, I did this after the December and February LSAT. So I thought you guys might want to hear my recap of the June LSAT. Started off the day with the proctors showing up at 12.30. Wait a minute. Wasn't the test supposed to start at 12.30? Wow. Well, you're supposed to check in by 12.30. Okay. And so instead, the proctors show up at 12.30. <laughs> and we didn't start until 2. You know, that's I don't know brutal. that that's super uncommon. An that hour and a half. That sucks, though. It that's still just, sucks. But. That's so bad because if you're supposed to register by 12.30, that means you're there by noon. Yeah. And now you're not going to start for two hours? Yeah, you're going to get hungry. Wow. The proctor also didn't give us a five-minute warning for one of the sections, but it was games, so I had finished early and was going back through my answers when she called the time. Other people seemed a lot more bothered by it, so I think that gave me a boost. I like that way of looking at things. I also... uh, have to say that this is now multiple reports we've heard of these games being really easy on June 2017. I heard that from all my students. Did you hear the same? I imagine. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a reoccurring theme. Yep. So, um, which is just, it's, is it just silly that they do that? Why are some of the tests, why would it have such so much harder games on one test than the other? Why would they do, what is their rationale for doing that? I don't know. It doesn't like, Unless they don't realize that, but they should because they did the experimental section with those games, you know? Like, they would realize. I guess they're just trying to balance out the difficulty of the test overall. Or, I mean, cynically, I want to say, well, they're super starved for law school applicants right now, so they just made an LSAT super easy. Maybe. Seriously. Like, yeah. Oh, all of a sudden, all these people are going to get some great score that they're going to be able to use to apply last minute and start law school this fall. Yeah. So then on paper, all law schools can nod their head and wink and say, hey, look, the numbers are going yeah, back our up again. Yeah, coming back. Yeah, we're coming back. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I mean, they could also just be balancing the games off of the other sections, which they think are harder. Yeah, or if the, balancing if the reading it with comp the scoring was, scale too. So yeah, right. Wait, if the reading comp was well, the scoring scale changes as well, right? So yeah, for sure. I mean, just because the games were easy does not really mean that the test was easy. However, 
your game's performance, because it's so variable for most people, that if you get a good test of games, you can end up being perfect on them, which it sounds like we got multiple listeners now that have scored perfect on this section of games. Yeah. Because they had plenty of time to finish way early and go back and redo all the questions. I mean, <laughs> that's that's some pretty easy games. And then now you know that you have those, like, 23 points locked up. Yeah. I mean... That's just a home run. That's also a good, you know, kind of back to what we were talking about earlier. It's a good idea, I think, to plan on taking the test multiple times if necessary. And then I also really hate it when people skip tests because what if you had skipped this one? Yeah. You know, if you if you had happened to skip June 2017, now who knows what you're going to get in September. I mean, they could be just as easy. Yeah. Or it could be one of those weird hard ones, and then you're waiting for December again. I don't know. Anyway, um, okay, so we got multiple. We got the Proctor showing up late. We have Proctor failing to give a five minute warning. Uh, some specifics here about the test itself. I'm gonna skip that. Yeah. Ooh, but here we go. Reading comprehension seemed super easy. Hmm. I feel like that's where I made the most ground since December and February. Working through Ben's book of hard reading comprehension passages really boosted my confidence. So there you go, Ben. Nice. Um, I know Nathan doesn't care, but I had three logical reasoning sections again, just like for December and February. I was pretty much expecting expecting it to happen again today. All of them felt pretty easy, but there were a few that I had a hard time with, but I gave it my best. Felt a lot smoother this time around, so fingers crossed it's good enough. Thanks, guys. Calvin. Um, ooh, we got a PS. PS, I was averaging around 171 to 174 for my practice tests, so I'm game for the $10 for every point over 170 donation pledge. I feel that you guys have helped me out so much, specifically with test day mindset, which I think counts for a lot more than people think. Uh, wow. So that's nice, Calvin. We, we were really joking about the $10 over, uh, for every point over 170 pledge, but, uh, no, every little bit ha- uh, helps and we will use it to, uh, defray our expenses that are associated with producing the show. Yeah. And if you're in doubt, just give us six sixty six. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Um, next one. And yeah. thanks Calvin. That's Calvin's a longtime uh, correspondent of the show. So really appreciate hearing back again from you, Calvin. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Ben and Nathan. I thought you would be interested to hear that I just finished all 96 episodes of the podcast. Wow. Congratulations. We we should give you a donation. (laughs) Just in time for Monday. I started listening in early March in case you're wondering. So, hmm, what, that's like March, April, May, some of June. So three and a half months you can do it. Your podcast has been very helpful supplemental to my uh a very helpful supplement to my studying in addition to ben's class and nathan's lr encyclopedia i've implemented many of your strategies and there have been times that i specifically thought about a recent discussion from the podcast to correctly answer questions i'll probably keep listening after the test for admissions related content and the random ramblings cool i actually do really like your tangents a five-star review will be coming your way soon Oh, hey. very nice. Yeah, this is great. Did did we write this or is this? <laughs> yeah, really. It's too, too good to be true. Um, Rachel's talking about reviewing us on iTunes, Ben. That's what people really should do, huh? Yeah. 
And people have been doing that lately, haven't they? I think I've noticed it's gone up. So yeah, cool. well, we reminded people, so people people go do it. Um, iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, you could uh, hit the five stars. And if you feel like writing a note about the show, uh, that helps too. So every little bit helps people find us. Thanks, guys. Yeah. She writes, Jar continues, a funny and hopefully non-creepy tidbit. Between the many hours I've spent listening to the podcast and time spent watching and listening to Ben's class videos, your voices have started to come up in my dreams. I guess that's a sign that I've truly immersed myself in this process. Question mark. Yes, I think that is a sign that you've truly immersed yourself. So, yeah. um, Fingers crossed that the test went well on Monday. Cool. Um, Wait, did we say your name? Rachel. Thanks, Rachel. Um, sorry about our voices popping up in your head. I don't think that's really that awesome. But if it's helping you answer the questions, then I guess it's I guess it's all right. Yeah, I hear that all the time, though. Do, do you? Yeah. yeah. Pe- people say that they're like doing something or they're doing a test and they're like, oh, yeah, I heard you telling me not to go fast or... <laughs> Yeah, or just whatever that they. Yeah, my students tell me that they realize that they are reasoning through the question in my voice, like that they they're hearing my voice while they're working through it. Yeah, just yeah, like almost as if I'm reading it. Um, yeah, so sorry about that. All right, um, do this one. Okay, this one's been on the agenda for a while. How much do we want to get into this next one? Um. I don't know. It's complicated. It's a lot of numbers to convey in a casual podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, Maybe we skip that one. Um, Okay. Next one. Hi, Nathan and Ben. Please don't use my last name. If you read this on the podcast, I have a few questions for you. So bear with me. I'll do my best not to ramble, but no promises. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I graduated from a good university in 2014 with two degrees, a BS in neuroscience and a BA in philosophy. My GPA was 3.34. That's a 3.78 in philosophy and a 2.9 in neuroscience. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, so I started working at a bookstore. I thought I could figure out where I wanted to go and seriously thought about graduate school for philosophy, but my heart just wasn't into it, and I ended up deciding it wasn't for me. Fast forward to last fall, 2016. My store is closing, and I'm about to get laid off. Fortunately, I had time to plan and was studying intensely for the patent bar exam. This is a harrowing gauntlet of a test that allows people with science degrees to practice patent law as a patent prosecutor. All patent prosecutors must pass this test, even if they have passed the state bar exam. Not all patent attorneys need to pass this test, as you can be a patent litigator without it. At the time I passed the patent bar, I was unemployed and thought that this registration would be my golden ticket to a good job. Sadly, uh, sadly, this wasn't to be. I applied to every major law firm in my city and nothing. A few cordial no thank yous, but no one wanted to roll the dice on a newly minted patent agent. I ended up moving back with my parents and taking a job as a temp at a vitamin supplement company doing QA. It's all right and pays the bills, but damn if it's boring and definitely not where I thought I would be. Wait, wait, can we pause for a second? What do you yes. QA? Like 
Is he doing quality assurance on the vitamins themselves, like <laughs> testing them out? Uh, I assumed it was a computer job, like doing <laughs> QA on the website. Yeah, but that's kind of what I it, think of when I think of QA, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he could be, like, pumping up on all the vitamin supplements. <laughs> Did that one work for you? No, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay. During this time, I noticed two things. One, all the patent jobs for the softer sciences, that's biology, pharma, neuroscience, seem to require PhDs. And two, there were a lot of opportunities for patent agents as 1Ls and 2Ls. This got me thinking about law school as a way to get my foot in the door and made me think that maybe I would enjoy litigation rather than prosecution since my degree would be somewhat prohibitive on the prosecution side. Uh, I don't really know why or what that necessarily means. I mean, anyway, okay. I am now studying intently for the LSAT and really enjoying the logic parts, using the power score Bibles to prime myself for the September 2017 test. My diagnostic with some light logic games review was a 156 with my worst section being reading comp by a long shot minus 12 in this section. Okay, here come the questions. First, how do law schools look at double majors? Are law schools more concerned with your cumulative GPA or will they scrutinize each individual GPA for the majors? Ben? Uh, I think they're more interested in your cumulative GPA so they can compare apples to apples. Right. And that's the number they're going to use when they convert you into an index number, right? Yeah. Um, They're going to use your LSAC GPA. So not even the GPA that's on your transcript, but the LSAC GPA, which you will not know until they calculate it for you. You have to sign up for the credential assembly service, get all your transcripts requested, and then the LSAC will tell you what your magic GPA number is. Um, However, we do suggest here that Ryan would write... Oh, yeah, Ryan. We can say Ryan, sorry. Um, An addendum pointing out maybe the two different majors. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, maybe, hmm, I was wondering if he could say anything to sort of explain his lower GPA. The problem well, is... Well, it seems pretty easy to just say, hey, I, I took neuroscience and did some, you know, this was like serious science stuff. And if if we were just looking at my philosophy degree, you know, which is more related to my law school dream. Anyhow, I got a 3.78. So, um, you know, the 2.9 in neuroscience was just not that bad. You could also probably say, you know, if, if 2.9, 2.9 might've been great for a neuroscience program, right? For all we know. Mm-hmm. So you could definitely include that in the addendum. Yeah. I would try to figure that out, figure out where he is relative to other neuroscience majors. And if it's good, then mention that. But the thing here is that if he's applying with sort of this patent bent, I don't know if he wants to emphasize his mm, yeah, good point. technical degree is lower, but maybe he could just, you don't have to do what you uh, say you're going to do in your application. He could just ignore this whole patent thing and focus on something else. Although that who knows? You know, it sounds like he actually has an interest in this and that would make his personal statement more interesting because he's actually writing about something yeah. he's interested in. So anyways, yeah, it's tough. Okay. Uh, next question. Second, how much will passing the patent bar help me in the admission process? 
This was a very difficult test that rivals the state bar in difficulty and pass rate. So I'm hoping this will be a big benefit when I apply, but I'm not sure. I don't think it'll be a big benefit, but I think it'll help. I'm I'm sure they're worried about people's ability to pass bar the bar itself and this, you know, is similar. So, yeah, if in fact it is it rivals the state bar in difficulty and and pass rate, yeah, I mean, so that would be something toss it into a personal statement, right? I could think of some different ways you could get that in there. Yeah. And, but you know, because otherwise they, they might not even notice at all. Right. <laughs> it's not like they're going to just, that's not certainly not the first thing they're looking for. Sure. They're going to look at your LSAT and your LSAC GPA. And that's the first thing. So, but, but you have to point their attention to the other things that you think are useful about your candidacy. So yeah, if you want to write about the patent bar to show them that you're going to for sure pass it, that that might make sense. Yeah. Um, all right. Third, I'm shooting for a 170 on my LSAT by this fall. How real? Uh, 170 plus on my LSAT by this fall. How realistic is this goal? And what advice do you have for focusing on bringing my reading comp score up? I seem to struggle with information retention under the time constraint as well as the fuzzier nature of the answers as opposed to the solid answers in the other two sections. Well, I mean, that's, there's your problem. Yeah. The answers are not fuzzy. There's evidence in the passage to support the correct answers on the reading comp. Yeah. So it actually stems from his inability to retain the information and that stems from his probably lack of contemplation as he goes through the passage. Yeah, I think, Ryan, my hypothesis would be that you're reading too quickly. Um, you're so worried about the time constraint that you're you're just rushing a tiny bit through the passage. And when you're missing 12, I mean, <clears throat> you really could could just do three passages. You don't you definitely don't need to do the fourth passage, at least not until you bring that score up a bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I wouldn't want somebody doing four passages if they were missing 12. Yeah, a passage is going to have at most eight questions. Right, so you're missing a passage and a half worth of questions. I'd rather have you do that by just skipping one of the passages. Yeah. Um, You can either just skip the last passage, or you could skip a topic that you really didn't think you were going to like. Yeah. Um. So I think you need to slow down. I mean, you need to focus on just really digging into the passage, engaging with each passage, and then you're going to find that the questions get a lot easier. Yeah. One thing you got to think about is when you read a sentence, especially the first one, because that's where they throw you in the deep end. Yeah. You got to make sure you understand what that sentence is saying. And most people fail that test. Um, They think they understand what it says. But then when I say, well, what does it mean? They just start rereading the sentence again. Mm-hmm. That means you haven't really thought about it. It hasn't turned into an idea. It's still just words on the page. Um, and once you understand what they're saying with that sentence, and that sentence can often be very long, um, and so you may have to break it into its two or three clauses, understand each clause, and then be like, oh, okay, now I understand the sentence as a whole. 
Um, once you understand that sentence, you then have to think about it too. Like so many times I ask people, well, what do you think of that sentence? And they're like, I don't know. I mean, it's just, just is what it is. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, but do you like, do you agree with that? Do you think that's true? Do you think that's stupid? Do you think it's surprising? I mean, some of these sentences I read on the LSAT and I'm like, well, that's weird. I'd never thought about the fact that most of our planet's orbits are oval and if they weren't, what would that mean about how warm they are relative to the sun? You know, and I start thinking about that just a little bit. And then the questions that come up in your head, they often get answered in the qu- sentences that come after the sentence you just read. Yeah. And you're so much like so much more ready to receive that information and make sense of it. And so then you don't have this retention issue. You have a retention issue when you're not really engaged, you're not really thinking about the information that they're throwing at you. And and sort of, I think about it as like, I think of, about the information that I'm given with each sentence as information that I'm taking in and then I'm, I'm playing with it a little bit in my head. Not a whole lot. I'm not spending... <laughs> a long time with each inf- each piece of information, but I'm thinking about it and grappling with it. And if, if you do that, that grappling makes it stick in your head. If you don't, then of course you're going to forget. You read it by the end, you're like, oh, I don't know what they were saying because you weren't really dealing with it. Yeah, I really like the trick of making a prediction after you read a sentence or two mm-hmm. to, to just make a prediction about what do you think they're going to say next? And... If you can't do that, then you probably need to reread that first sentence or two. I'm not saying you're going to be able to correctly predict what they're going to say next. Yeah. But you should have some idea where you think they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And then when you read the rest of the passage, you get to find out whether you were right or wrong. But then you'll know. Either way, you'll know. And I just, yeah, most most people are just not, they're not, they're not comprehending as they're reading. They're not doing, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um. Okay. Oh, I'm shooting for 170 plus on the LSAT by this fall uh, and wants to know how plausible that is. We have, so that's from a 156 diagnostic. Okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible. I've seen it happen before. Mid mid 150s is a good place to start. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, we would see people make a 14 point improvement in three months. Um, that's not, that, that might be a little bit more than average, but it's not like shocking. No. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, a reasonable goal. I, we don't really like specific numeric goals very much. I mean, I think instead you should just be doing the best you can Yeah. work on it a little bit every day and just do the best you can. Um, okay. I think that's it for those questions. Yeah. I just want to reiterate that the answers are not fuzzy on the reading comprehension that you should be able to find there's evidence in the passage. And so if you think the answers are funny, I just, or fuzzy, I just think that means you're thinking about it is a little fuzzy or your, your read of it was a little fuzzy. You need to get more clarity, get more focus there. And, um, you'll see that there's, there is evidence in the passage to support those answers. Yeah. Or you're misreading the answer. 
Which happens a lot. Yeah. 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 Like you think it literally says one thing, but it actually says something else. And once you realize that it's saying that other thing, you're like, oh, pff, this is dead wrong. Not even right. a, a contender. Right, right. Okay. Um, thanks for all your help, Nathan and Ben. Your podcast has been an invaluable tool while I've been studying, and I really appreciate the no-nonsense answers you give people. Best, Ryan. Uh, thanks, Ryan. We love what we do. Um all right. Now we have this whole big one. Yeah. I think you're more familiar with it than I am. Okay. Yeah. And um, we're going to have to redact a lot of specific information here. So bear with me as I stumble through this. Um, hi, Nathan and Ben. If you use my email for the show, please redact my name, school, and parents firm. All right. I just wrapped up my first year at law school and I'm a little stuck as to what I should do between now and the start of my 2L year. Like many lower-ranked schools, I was offered and subsequently accepted a half-scholarship, $25,000, last fall, which contained a 3.0 GPA renewal requirement. Although my grades are not yet official, I would like to have a game plan if my scholarship is not renewed. And we got a later update from this listener that... um, in fact, this scholarship was not renewed. So now we're going to try to advise about what uh, he should do. My, oh, and by the way, 3.0 GPA renewal requirement, Ben. Yeah. Easy or difficult? I think that sounds uh, more challenging, or it is more challenging than it sounds. Um, well, that's why they do it. Yeah. Uh, I think... It, law school GPAs are can be lower than your normal GPA like in college. I mean, it depends on how hard of a school you went to, but um, in any case, yeah, I think it can be harder for people to get a 3.0 uh, in law school than getting a 3.0 in undergrad, and they don't realize that, oh, 3.0, that doesn't sound too bad. I can do that. I had a 3.5 or whatever. And not, yeah, not a little bit harder, like vastly harder. <laughs> These people have, you know, a lot of them have yeah. never had less than a 3.8 ever at any, at any stage, right? In high school and in college and people are, they're just used to being really good students. Like, oh, I work really hard. I know what, I know what it takes. I know how to get good grades. Sure. And the problem is everyone else at school is exactly the same as you. Everyone there works exactly as hard as you do. You know, you're the hardest worker in the world. Okay, but you're tied with all these other thousands of people. Yeah. And the the average GPA at the school could, for one else might be 2.7. So now you've got a crowd of all people that look exactly like you busting their ass, working super hard because everybody's a good student. And then the average GPA is going to be designed around a 2.7 middle of the curve. And so this 3.0 GPA renewal requirement, it, it can be like 80% of the people are going to lose that scholarship. Yeah. So when you're negotiating for your admissions offer, if you can get rid of these renewal requirements, you should ask them to get rid of the renewal requirement or change the renewal requirement to just 2.0 or, you know, remain in academic good standing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Cause the 3.0, I feel like is a little bit of a, 
that can be a, a trap in a lot of places. No, that's a really good idea. Have you heard of anyone doing that? I've heard of people asking. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of them getting told no a lot, but you know, again, it's just, it goes back to what you can always ask stuff. Sure. Um, and, and when you're comparing one offer to another, I mean, you, you really do need to take those renewal requirements into account. For sure. Yeah, yeah. It makes one scholarship much less or more viable than another. I think you should also ask the school what the retention rate was of, of scholarships. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But wait, <laughs> isn't that actually on the 509? Uh, yeah. Uh, but it might be it easier to just ask him. Yeah. The thing is that, um, that's a really good point. It's like, are these sincere scholarships or are these, we'll get you in the door. We'll then charge you full tuition for your last two years. So we're looking at you as a student who's basically getting a one third scholarship as opposed to a. Yeah. This was only a half scholarship to begin yeah, with. So this, so this like ends a up one being six. a one sixth scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but you know what? I would, I, I bet a lot of them are, I mean, I bet, yeah. because this happens all over the place. I mean, I know Golden Gate did that for, I think they still do the same thing. It's, it's a 3.0 GPA renewal requirement and the average GPA at the school is 2.7. So they take away three quarters of the scholarships or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, no, they are, they are doing it. They were, they're doing it on purpose. They are trying to have you lose your scholarship. Yeah, so here they give That's even the if they give you a full ride, and you're thinking, "Wow, they're not going to make any money on me. How? Why are they doing this? This must be a great place to go." And they're thinking, "Well, we'll probably make on on three quarters of you, we'll make two thirds of the tuition." Yeah, and we jacked up the tuition to you know astronomical <laughs> levels to begin with. So yeah, yeah, you're yeah, oh yeah, you're going to get the first year for free, and then you're still going to pay a hundred thousand dollars worth of tuition over the next two years. Side note here, by the way, um, for universities, law schools are – they're struggling now. So I, I, I'm not sure how they're going to get their uh, numbers back to profitability. But um, compared to a lot of other programs, they're cash cows because the all you have to do is pay for the professor. You don't have to pay for equipment. You have huge classes, unlike a lot of other university programs where they have small classes, you know, workshops and things like this. In law school, you don't have to do that. And so a lot of times universities rely on the law school portion of the, of the university to fund other departments um, because they make so much money off of the students. I mean, seriously, the professors are just <laughs> – they only give you one test a year. So all they have to do is lecture – and then give you a test and they're done. It's just so much less work than uh, a lot of professors have to do in other departments. So in any case, um, the point here is that since they're charging, the fact that they charge so much is even more egregious given how little they have to give back to you. Yeah. They're in business. They are trying to make money. And you know, the, the way they're going to present it to you is like, it's this great honor. They just, they like you so much and they're going to give you this scholarship and it's all for you, you know? Yeah. And, and then, yeah, three quarters of them in some cases get taken away and, and then you realize how much you're going to have to pay to go. I mean, like this thing here, you know, again, why are we saying scholarship, Ben? We're supposed to be saying discount. Yeah. That's really discount. what we need to call it. You, you should <clears throat> yeah. When you, when you go in and request, uh, your, your, a higher scholarship, you should say, 
if it'd be possible, I'd like to increase my discount by. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then when they when they keep saying scholarship, you you ask, how about if you? Like, um, I would prefer that we talk about this in terms of discount. <laughs> Tell that let's, to the admissions folks. Let's be folks. clear here. <laughs> yeah, let's be let's be clear what's going on here. This is just a discount, and I understand that. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so this student, it's a, it was only a half scholarship to begin with. It did not make the 3.0 GPA renewal requirement, and so now having to decide whether to continue at the full fifty thousand dollars a year for the next two years. Yeah. Um, my primary reason for going to law school is to take over my parents' estate planning law firm, where they are both currently joint partners. My grandfather founded the firm over 45 years ago, and no one outside the family has ever been partner. Suffice to say, this very unique and promising legal opportunity, there's a book of business with 10,000 clients. Holy smokes. Yeah. Seems like any baby lawyer's dream job, becoming partner right after passing the bar. While most people might see this as a no-brainer, I constantly have doubts whether or not I should put all my eggs in one basket. If I don't renew my scholarship with the legal market as it is, I could be in six figures of debt and would really have no choice but to work for my parents. Sure, I could apply to other firms, but my parents make significantly more than any other job I could realistically snag. I'm not going to get a big law job, uh, and I don't have an intense, quote, love of the law. And yeah, money isn't everything, but when you go into massive debt, it kind of has to be to a certain extent. What uh, yeah, are your I guys agree with thoughts? that last point. <laughs> Money isn't everything until you go into debt, and then it is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Owing money sucks. Yeah. And it, so it is – I mean I'm glad he's thinking about this seriously, right? He's, he's taking this decision seriously, which is good because he's yeah. – it is six figures. I mean that and, – and now he – it's weird, right? Because now he's like, well, do I really want to sell myself into slavery to my parents? Because that's what it's going to be, right? He's going to have this big, he's going to have this gigantic debt. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and at his school, especially with his grades, you know, the big law is not happening. Nope. Mm. What are you guys' thoughts on what I should do having lost the scholarship? So I wrote him back and I said, hey, I think this is what I said. I said, um, just think about working at your parents' firm. And if if that's not so bad, then I would go for it. But if it is, then drop out and do something else. I think it all at this point, because he hasn't gone into debt, or I mean at least that much, I don't know if he's – well, his parents have probably – maybe paid for his housing and stuff, but whatever. He hasn't gone into serious debt yet, and so he still has the freedom to cut loose and let it go. Uh, but if it sounds like it's something he could semi-enjoy doing, then I don't think that the $50,000 that he'll have to pay over the next two years is really going to matter because I think he's going to get well-paid when he's working for his parents' firm. So it really just comes down to whether or not he wants to do that job or not. And it sounds like he doesn't. So it sounds like he should probably drop out. Yeah. I mean, my standard advice in this situation is to drop out. I, I think it's actually not a bad play for people. If you're not a hundred percent sure about law school, um, 
but you're able to get, especially if you can get a full ride. Um, it, it's, I, I wish I would have done that, that plan of go to law school on a full ride. And then if I didn't retain my scholarship, just go ahead and drop out. It's, it's weird to get, there's the sunk cost fallacy, right? I mean, you get, you get into it, you get a year into it and you think, well, it's a year of my life that I've already spent and I've already spent this money, you know, 25,000 or whatever it is, um, that he's gone into debt for this first year. And then it's like you let that taint your analysis of whether you should spend two more years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like generally this is not going well, right? I mean, he complains here a lot about the grading. Maybe we'll talk about this a little bit. Um, He says, because here's here's how he's feeling about law school. You know, here's how he's experiencing law school. It says, on a side note, the grading system at my law school is a complete joke, too. Professors screw up all the time and there's no recourse, even though so much money is on the line. I get infuriated just thinking about it. Here's a few examples. Not giving you straightforward answers in class to good questions. Saying things won't be on the exam when they actually are. Not letting you review prior exams. And if you do get a chance, you can't even write down any notes. Not answering emails. Not showing up for office hours. Putting wrong cases on the syllabus so students are unprepared for class. Forgetting to go over cases that end up on the final. Finals with no essay and all um, MBE multiple choice questions. Uh, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with that. That's just their format. But anyway, the list goes on and on. And if you call them out for any of the things I mentioned, their response most of the time is, that's just part of law school. Um, he's, not, he's not digging it. He's having yeah. a bad time. Yeah. And he's yeah. not doing well. Yeah. You know? I mean, because he, other people are, are getting much better grades. And so they're just, it's like they're kind of winning in the competition. They're winning in legal competition. This is the beginning of your legal career. And you're not, you're not killing it as a lawyer right now. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I, I'm not trying to like beat him up or anything, but just to be honest about it, it's like, well, <laughs> all this stuff that, you know, I, hey, if you think that the professors are shitty, they probably are. But this is the game and other people are playing this game better than you are. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. I would add while you were talking that um I thought that you know there are some people who who love what they do but in the law and hated law school. Yeah. So I you know the day-to-day work may be different enough from this experience that he might like doing it, but that's really something that he's got to figure out and he would know the most information. Cause I mean, he works or hopefully he's, I mean, he's lived with his parents. So hopefully he knows what their work is like. And he just has to think about that and think, yeah, would I like yeah. getting up and doing that or not? And if I don't like doing that, then, or there's a chance I might not like doing that. I should probably get out now. Yeah. If, if it's going right. Yeah. If, if you think you are going to want to actually do the day to day, if the day to day is going to be so much different from what you've been doing in law school, then yeah, that changes it. But it's just, it's not a good start. And when, I mean, this is like general advice for one L's, I think, or for people in between their one L and two L year, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty committed to the idea. Like if it's not going well, 
yeah, you probably should drop out. I don't know why you would continue if you're not killing it in your 1L year. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I mean, unless you super love it. If you super love it, okay, then maybe it makes sense. Yeah. Or if you're going for free, okay, then maybe it makes sense. If you can, if you can stand it. But if you're getting bad grades and you're like really not enjoying it, I don't yeah. know why you would continue. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got some more information here. Uh, let's see how much of this we can go through. Yeah, my parents wanted me to take over the firm for as long as I can remember. They are helping with tuition as of now, uh, just ten thousand dollars a year. But that's partially because they were so ecstatic I worked my butt off on the LSAT to even get a scholarship. They have not committed to future tuition payments, though, and I have a feeling they'd be less inclined to chip in if I lost my scholarship, Wait, which did happen. Um, just a hunch, because they could interpret that as me slacking. Short answer is, it still remains to be seen. So we actually, I mean, he might be losing that funding from his folks as well. Hmm. Um. That's not a good sign. Yeah. That, yeah. Also, um, my sister is starting law school in the fall. So it's not just me. My parents would be paying for, um, okay. Uh, I definitely agree that the idea of taking over my parents' firm on its face seems too good to turn down, at least from a financial standpoint. One thing I didn't talk about in my initial email, though, is my parents also recently divorced. I'm sure both of you can imagine how dysfunctional a working relationship that is. Ha ha. Obviously, I don't really expect you guys to know how to handle this kind of situation. That aspect of it definitely muddies the cost-benefit analysis on my end, even though my parents are pretty amicable and tailor their client schedules so they're only at the office together two days a week. I can no doubt, uh, it can no doubt be a little stressful and unhealthy at times. Oh, um, don't, don't worry. We're experts in everything. So. Yeah, yeah, totally, especially relationship stuff. Um, anyways, like I said, I don't expect you guys to have a perfect answer for this part of my legal career analysis, but just wanted to throw that in there because it is sadly a big part of my future career decision. Uh, and then some compliments. Okay, and that's anonymous. So that family stuff, I don't know. That, I mean, that just makes it sound... Again, it's like, well, how do can you stomach it? Do you think you can? Because you're going to be like living there. You're going to be right in the middle of that. Yep. If you take over the firm, I mean, what they're going to? They're not going to both just immediately retire, right? It's going to be a transition into really taking over the firm. I mean, they can name you a partner right away, but they're going to be still doing all the legal work at first, right? <laughs> um, until you learn how to do anything, because law school doesn't really teach you how to do useful lawyer stuff. Yeah. Uh, at least not, a, not, no, I don't, I don't think so. Not, not no. enough to actually run a legal practice. Um, you're going to have to learn that part on your feet. So you're going to have to be working with mom and dad, mom and dad, maybe going to be whew, stressful fighting in the office. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. I wish sounds we had like, better. Sorry. No, it just sounds like one more reason not to continue. Not to continue. Yeah. I mean, my advice, I think I maybe go back to, cause I emailed him too. And I, I just said, um, Hey, law school is always going to be there for you too. You know, it's like, this does not have to be a forever decision. The debt is potentially a forever decision, but the not go to law school right now 
doesn't mean that you can't go to law school in the future. And maybe what he needs to do is to step away. He, n- nobody yet has mentioned a, a leave of absence. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if he could ask the school about a leave of absence and, you know, like take a year and think about sure. it before sure. going into more debt. Yeah, because then he, he still has the option to immediately continue or continue next year without yeah. going through the whole, like, application process and stuff like that. And a whole year to think about it, maybe he's like, maybe a lot of things will change at his parents' firm. Yeah, if he could work in the firm for a year, maybe make some Ooh. money, save up some money. Yeah. Um, See if I he wonder, really likes it. Yeah, I wonder if mom and dad would help him sort of like work his way through too. Because then that makes me think of also, what if he shifted into a part-time program or something? Yeah. You know, and did it like in in smaller bites. Maybe he would get better grades. Sure. And... Yeah. Um, okay. I guess maybe that's, that's all we've got to say. Um, drop us a line whenever you get a chance. We'd love to hear what you decide. Uh, if I don't think you can ever make a huge mistake by dropping out. I really don't. Not going to law school is never a like major mistake. Going to law school and paying a lot of money is a major mistake for a lot of people. Yeah, just remember what happened to Wonder Woman. She didn't go and things are all right now. Did you see Wonder Woman then? I haven't seen it yet, but uh, she's like a star now. She's famous. What What if she had gone to law so school, good. man? It would just be off. No one would know her. She'd be a nobody. Oh, she would still be a somebody. Everybody wouldn't. She, she's spectacular. She's <laughs> she's a, she is a fine looking human being. No, no, the law sure. school would take that out of her. And she oh, right. I forgot. <laughs> she would. Yeah, she'd be all hunched over, back, <laughs> <be> broken, <laughs> wrinkles and everything. Man, that's a good movie. I want to double down on my Wonder Woman recommendation. I saw it again, and everybody you saw it again. Uh huh. I had friends in town. And sounds I like you're a little. It. Sounds like you're a little in love with her and with Chris Pine both. So I mean, okay. I mean equal opportunity on the on the the whole cast of Wonder Woman is awesome. And um, I had an opportunity to go see it at the Vista theater in Los Angeles, which is a old, really um, it's like exciting to go to movies there. Cause it just, it feels like old Hollywood. It's like a big event sure. kind of thing. Yeah. Big, nice theater. And um, it was full and uh, it was actually LA pride weekend. And so people were very enthusiastic about the you know girl power aspect of wonder woman. Mm. Um, but I find it, I found it really it's like I think it's an important movie. Actually, it it does seem like it is going to do cool things um, in a feminist kind of a way. Mm-hmm. I thought about my niece, my ten year old niece, a lot during the movie. You know, it's just cool that she's going to have a like badass action superhero girl to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's always like playing. You know, she's always being the Flash, or she's being Captain Jack Sparrow, or she's being all of these different characters, and I don't know, I like the, I like it when she's Rey from Star Wars, or now she's uh, hopefully going to be Wonder Woman sometimes. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so thanks for that email, and sorry it took us so long to finally discuss it on the show, but uh, we got kind of backlogged. Uh, next one? Yeah. You want to do it? Sure. Hey, Nathan, I love the podcast and have listened to every episode in preparation for June. Wow, that's a second person. That's yep. amazing. Yeah. Thanks for all that you and Ben do to help us 
law school hopefuls. I know you discourage bringing a watch on test day, but I have a question about one of the other few items LSAC allows in the test room. Highlighters. Uh-oh, highlighters. I don't use them to highlight reading comp sections, but I really like using one to draw out LG game boards, especially those games that may have that I may have to brute force, such as Prep Test 77's game. Uh, the third game, I think. If I need to erase, rewrite, and or pencil in new possibilities, my game board stays, and I don't have to redraw one each time. It's really helped me with time, and I wanted to pass along the tip and hear your thoughts. So here's a question for our listeners. Sorry, anonymous, but is this a pearl of wisdom or a turd of wisdom? <laughs> um. It, it, I think it has the potential to be a pearl. I, you know, in 11 years of teaching the LSAT, I have never seen anyone do that. I have never attempted it myself. I don't think it's necessary. Um, I, I specifically, uh, they mentioned this, the choosing offices game as one that it's like really helpful for. Mm. I don't think the choosing offices game even requires any diagram at all. I would have to agree with you on that. So I don't, so then I don't understand how, how this uh, correspondent is using highlighter for this game. I guess I would like to see it one time. Um, I don't know, Ben, did you think about, I know you did an experiment with the highlighter on the reading comp. Did you do an experiment yet with the uh, logic games and a highlighter? No, but I have to say that I, I think and I could be wrong. I think that what she's doing is similar to what I've seen other students do. They'll use a pen, which they ultimately cannot use on the test, but right. they don't realize that, I think, initially. They'll use a pen to write out their, like, diagram, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll use a pencil to fill in the slots mm-hmm. for the individual mm-hmm. questions. And then mm-hmm. they'll erase, as she says here, or, or he, uh, erase, rewrite, and or pencil in new mm-hmm. possibilities. The reason I think this is a turd, no offense, is that um, <laughs> is that and a lot of people do it, by the way. So this is actually good that um, this person wrote in. Uh, we'll call them. We'll call this person highlighter. Highlighter wrote in and uh, said this because I think a lot of people do consider this option, uh, as I said before. But I don't like it because. When you create a diagram for, say, question 10, um, and then you answer question 10, it's not like that diagram is now totally useless and you'll never look at it again. I often look back at previous diagrams and say, oh, well, I've seen T in slot 4 before, so that certainly could be true, which means this answer is right or this answer is wrong. And so I use that information again, and I don't feel like writing out the, the dashes or the slots or whatever you yeah. want to call them really quickly for each uh, if question or whatever question you feel like you need to diagram is that big of a deal. I wonder if she's testing a lot of answer choices. I mean, she does talk yeah. about brute force questions, which would yeah. include some questions you just have to I don't to even know what answers. that means. I mean, when people, people say that a lot, like, well, you know, you just, this was on the ones where I brute forced it. And I'm like, wait, why are you brute forcing it ever? What are you doing? I th- I think what they're talking about is where, like, you know, maybe you come to a question and it just says, which one I find could be true? Well, even then, I don't know. Like, which, uh, I don't think it happens very often, but sometimes you have to go through, you just have to go through the answers, right? There's no, like, yeah. hmm, this seems like. Yeah, this but seems still, like, you don't have to test them in order. 
No, you don't have and, to test them in order, and you don't. Uh, sometimes you do, like if they're really long answers and you can't yeah. just decipher them. But even then, like how many times do you have to go through all five answer choices? And a lot of times you get to right. answer choice B and you're like, oh, well, that works. Done. So right. it feels like she might be testing out answer choices more than she needs to because she's not yeah. doing enough work up front. So highlighter, I would say stop doing this and start focusing on making more inferences up front. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope uh, highlighter, I hope it's not helping him or her um, in the short run, but like hurting him or her in the long run. Yeah. Cause it, it does seem like an inefficient thing. I mean, yeah, if I need to erase, you shouldn't need to erase. There shouldn't be, I mean, that, cause I, I do that too. Like I look at people in class, I look at their pencil and if I see that their pencil eraser is almost gone, yeah, that's a pretty clear sign that they're doing something wrong. You just shouldn't, why are you, I don't think you need to erase like hardly ever. I mean, unless you make a mistake, but people do a lot of like, Oh, I'm going to pencil out a hypothetical here and then I'm going to erase it. I don't, what are you doing? You don't need to be doing that. If you, if you test an answer choice and that answer choice turns out not to work, all you have to do is draw a line through whatever that diagram was. Cause you just kill it. Like, Oh, this, this didn't work. False alarm here and just cross it out. Yeah. But I you shouldn't ever be erasing. I, I agree hundred percent. Like that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm keeping good diagrams. I'm, cr- I'm just crossing out bad diagrams instantly. Yeah. Why waste time erasing it? Uh, the one right. and only time that I do erase, and I actually really like this um, part of my games approach is that let's say I'm setting up a, a diagram, right? And, or uh, the initial diagram. And I realize that, uh, one of the rules that they gave me is never going to be, I'm never going to violate that rule because, um, maybe because of some of the other rules or the way they interact or because I created worlds, I never, ever have to think about that rule again. And so I will actually erase it so that all I see on my diagram is exactly what I have to worry about and nothing more. Yeah. I love when that happens as well. I do it in class all the time where it's like, I, and I do it sort of to demonstrate to the class, right? Yeah. That, Hey, I had this rule, but we made these two scenarios and over here, we've already applied the rule in this scenario over here. The rule doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so therefore, and then I just like, you know, erase it off the whiteboard. It's not part of my thought process anymore. I don't have to keep picking up that rule and handling it. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't want it in my analysis anymore. So that is a time where maybe I would erase. Um, even better than that, you wouldn't have written it down in the first place if you just knew, oh, I'm going to make two scenarios here to kill this rule. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, it's an interesting suggestion. We we are open to new possibilities, so thanks for sending in uh, ideas like this. But uh, we're going to have to call this one a turd. <laughs> A turd of wisdom. <laughs> and we'll end on that note. I Thank still you, like highlighter. that joke. Yeah. No, thanks, Highlighter, for writing in. And thanks, everybody, for uh, subjecting yourself to our abuse by uh, emailing the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. Um, rate and review us on iTunes. And please tell a friend. Uh, I will talk to you next time from an entirely different continent. I'm going to be uh, in Europe for the next 
month or so. Um, Ben, you're, you, you said you're going to the beach at some point, huh? Yeah, this Saturday, going to the beach. So, yeah, oh, nice. that's right. Um, I guess we'll have to figure out what we're going to do about that, but I'm sure I can find internet and we can talk. Yeah, our, uh, it's possible that our quality is going to be suspicious at places, <laughs> depending what kind yeah. of internet connection. And uh, I will be bringing a microphone with me, but uh, otherwise it's going to be, I'm going to be traveling pretty light. And uh, I don't know exactly where I'm going to be, but I got Belgium, Poland, Switzerland, and I think Czech are all on my list of things for the next month. So wow, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I'll re- I'll report in and, and tell you how it is. Right now in Toronto, I got to tell you, is absolutely perfect weather. It's just so beautiful, and Toronto is such a great city. Um, really, really highly recommend it if anybody hasn't been to Toronto. I have not been. I will go. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and the people here, it's like it's very New York City. The, the people are like very cool. Everybody's like really well dressed. I feel so schlubby walking around town in my jeans and t-shirt. <laughs> it's like because we're, I'm like right downtown the financial district, and all the working folks are out. Um, but anyway, uh, okay, I have to run. I have a student. Uh, thanks everybody again for listening. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.